0: another episode of our mini podcast i built a company that makes a difference by b1 here we talk to founders of sustainable businesses to get their takes on how and why they started their companies and lessons learned along the way today i have the great pleasure of talking with jennifer wong and santos agustin the co-founders and owners of gone to the dogs which is an ethical sustainable and collaborative pet goods company that partners with women artisans from low-income and immigrant communities locally and internationally to sell collars, toys, wearables, and other pet accessories. Ladies, I super, super love your business. I'm so excited to talk about it. Thank you very much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you for having us. We're delighted to be here.
0: So let's jump into Gone to the Dogs. So tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you met and started this business and how Gone to Dogs came to be.
1: Well, we met as friends. Well, we actually met in um, the apparel industry many, many years ago. Um, and we found commonality. We have the same sensibility when it came to music and art and um, fashion. Um, and we became really fast friends. Um, very early on. And then um, when we, you know, we both separately left the company that we, um, we um, both met at and, you know, found our different paths. Um, Jennifer went into, she actually went to the Peace Corps after um, um, going into children's fashion. Um, and worked with um, artisans and women makers. um, And I went into the more sustainable space um, with a different company. Um, And so many years later, she came back from the Peace Corps um, and we reestablished our friendship. um, And we've been talking about starting this business for a really long time. And we finally did it, I would say like in 2018, um we saw a need um, in the market, um, obviously, um, as designers, um, I feel like we're always at the forefront in terms of sustainability and ethical practices. It's just pushing the industry towards that. And um, we found a need in terms of the pet market. We saw that nobody else was doing it. and as as, you know, pet moms, as um, rescue moms, we knew that there was something that we could do about it. And so that's how, and why we started our business.
0: can so, can I ask you for some just time markers? How long and what years did you two work in the apparel industry,
2: and what were you doing? You both were designing mm-hmm. we I think we met in two thousand and seven and we were both um, working just in fashion and yes as um designers. And then one of the I didn't stay for very long. I think I joined Peace Corps like in 2010 Mm -hmm. and then came back in 2013. Um, And then we started the business and we started talking about the business quite before we actually opened. We think we established our LLC in 2018 Mm -hmm. and then we opened our doors or we launched our site in um, 2020.
0: Okay. And you guys are
2: e-commerce and Mm -hmm. brick and mortar. Correct. We launched the e-commerce 2020 and then we opened the retail brick and mortar in 2021.
0: Okay. I'm going to, I've got a bunch of questions. I'm going to go back to maybe talking about the first, the beginning year, two Mm -hmm. years of after you, you open your, your launch your site and then open your doors. But first, I really love your mission. I mean, there's so much in there and there's so much thoughtfulness and purposefulness and how you set up your business and what kind of things you support and champion. Can you talk a little bit about how you got to a place where you can fold, you know, environmental sustainability, ethical trade and production, support of animal shelters, like just so much support of female artis- artisans. How, how did you get to a place where you could fold all of that into your operations?
2: So, you know, when we started the business, we were inspired by our dogs, right? Essentially, they're our family. Um, Santis and I got, uh, brought our pups into our families uh around the same time and we just you know we we realized that there wasn't transparency behind the, the products that we were purchasing purchasing from them and you know having the background of working with artisans and working in sustainability we both you know asked those questions to ourselves when we started the business how do we want to format this how do we want to um run our business and you know that's how we kind of shaped um Gone to the dogs is behind some of our core values. So, one, um, people and including and being inclusive of of people who are um, needing opportunities in market access. So, as woman owned, as a woman owned business, that was really important us to include other women. So that was kind of a given for us is to include a, a community of women who would help us produce some of our designs um, and for us it was really important to continue giving them a stable um, income so they can mm-hmm. support their families
0: mm-hmm.
2: and to earth so thinking about how we design our products um, and how we put our products into the world by just thinking simply about the materials you know um, as we all know climate change is a big deal. Um, it's for real, and so it for us. We we thought about initially. It was all going to be upcycled. We're like, okay, what kind of upcycled materials can we use um, to produce products? And so we do have an upcycle. We do have our core collection, which is a rope collection. That's how kind of how we came up with our our leashes and collars. So everything is um, upcycled climbing rope. It's used ropes that we collect from all the local climbing gyms. Okay. Um, and then we we continue to search for upcycled materials and fabrics from factories. Um, and then we also use renewable fibers and natural fibers for um, some of the apparel and accessory items. And then three, community was really good, important for us as well. And I think we didn't realize how important it was until we opened our retail store, until we actually were out there, you know, because... We realized how important it was to share our story and our stories with our our community. So we also do hold a, a few events and at our store, and then we also um, support and give back a certain percentage of sales to local animal shelters and nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the events that we hold, you know, for example, or um, we do um, like felting events, which, what is um, that? we kind could... of? <laughs> santos mm-hmm. actually teaches a felting workshop once a month that um, basically lets our customers know how to reuse some of the felts out there and make their own felt objects. Ooh, um, primarily like toys for- oh that's yeah. awesome. Oh,
0: that sounds yes. interesting.
2: We also have a mending course, so we're teaching you know our community how to mend instead of throwing things away right when things break a far fall apart um and then we do a lot of collaborations <clears throat> excuse me um with a lot of the non local, nonprofit non animal shelters and rescues in our area so adoption events and um like, like social events with them
0: okay so you guys have a lot of event like physical events at your store as well it sounds amazing i mean it sounds like purposeful crafting events which is sounding amazing to me that sounds very therapeutic actually
1: it is therapeutic. We like to um we like tell people that for sure. And it's actually quite that. fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very fun. And I feel like right now the our strongest event, our strongest program is our toy recycling program. Mm-hmm. And it started organically because we did make a choice very, very early on about how um we wanted to make our toys. And we had a a choice to fill our toys with polyfill because there's a lot of dog toys out there, a lot of cat toys, pet toys, that are made out of synthetic materials just so that they last longer. Um, But we don't believe that's healthy for our dog because obviously like with with microplastics, like half our body is full of synthetics already. Um, And so we made that conscious decision to fill our toys with wool. and then from that, because wool is compostable and it's also up so easily upcyclable, it just made so much sense to um, establish a recycling program for our dog toys. And and then on top of the recycling program that we have for our dog toys, which we tell our customers, you can buy the dog toy once the baby has like basically destroyed it, Right. Um, you can bring back the carcass, you can bring back the remnants and we'll recycle the wool, we'll give you a discount. And then we took a further step from there and said, you know what, we're gonna teach you how to upcycle the wool. That way, even though the dog had a great time the first time, you can remake that toy into something, prolong the, the life cycle of that product and make something brand new yourselves with it. Because, you know, with renewable materials like wool, that's something that you can easily do out of the comfort of your own home. So, I mean, it, essentially, a lot of our events um, that are successful are very organic and they come from us being very um, responsive to our community, listening to them, and also just sticking to our core values as well.
0: That's awesome. Okay, this makes me think I've got a lot of questions, a lot of questions. So, I'm going to try to keep this. <laughs> from becoming unreasonably long as a podcast and a conversation, but this makes me think. So uh, my own journey um, with B1 and with ePop, you know, when we started this business, it was like, it was really an annoyance. Like we started with, uh, why is there this proliferation of paper receipts? The co-founders, all of us were traveling a lot and it was just like an annoyance. Like, why do we have to keep paper receipts? And then when you start digging into it a little bit, you're like, oh my God, paper receipts are really bad actually for the environment and oh my gosh this ink is toxic and so you just keep going and the more that you research something that's kind of benign and just part of everyday life you start researching it and you're like oh my god this is terrible for the environment oh my god this is terrible for us and you just you go into a rabbit hole at least that's how epop was started and then as a result b1 i feel like this is probably something that is similar which is pet toys, pet accessories, when you think not much of it, then you start researching a little bit into maybe the dangers or how harmful it is, not just for your pets, but for the environment, et cetera. And you think, oh my God. And you learn more and more and more. You too, with your um, background and your experience in not just um, apparel, but you know sustainability um, in this realm, what are some things that actually the average pet owner may not know? Uh, and why would Uh, Something like Gone for the Dogs be a much much better alternative. I'm sure there are. It's like it's not even close when you think about uh, these materials uh, and uh, production practices. But it's maybe something that the average person or the average pet owner hasn't 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 occurred to them yet.
1: I think it's a Thing where you have to ask you ask yourselves well, we already do it for ourselves we always shop consciously for ourselves we are very aware of what we put in our bodies as human beings and so you know and in terms of like I know that the way that Jen and I shop because we you know we start out as consumers as well before we are creators so it's like the things that we buy to ingest the things that we put on our bodies we already like uh, shop sustainable brands we already shop secondhand. hand. Um, and so just extending that to our, you know, four-legged family members, mm-hmm. just extending that it to them and thinking about like, how are they eating? If I'm eating whole foods, you know, if I'm very conscious of going to the, the farmer's market or, or the food co-op um, every other day, every other week, what about my pet, you know? I think, um, it's, I think that's the easiest way to enter into that whole thought process. Um, in terms of like also, like how the the things that, like I'm putting on my dog was like somebody exploited to make this collar, mm-hmm, this leash? Mm-hmm. Um you know, why is it so inexpensive? Um you know, was this person paid a fair and living wage to make it? What was the um the environmental impact in terms of the making of this sweater? You know, it, it, it's these questions that do we ask ourselves as conscious shoppers? Um, that it's just easily extended to our dogs. And the great thing is that culture is shifting where we are seeing our pets more as family members um, than, you know, as domestics, you know? So um, I think that's just an easy entry in terms Mm -hmm. of like how to shop, how to create, how to, you know, how to um, be responsible um, as a pet owner, a pet mom. A pet dad
2: i mean that was kind mm. of um how we started our toy collection as well was you know everyone is trying all our competitors are trying to make the indestructible toy right right and we're like okay we have to make the indestructible toy because dogs tear apart toys that's what they do totally mm-hmm. you know doesn't we don't know how long it takes to tear about a door our toy like It could, you know, we were like, okay, well, what, what is an indestructible toy? And when we look closer, it's, you know, made of rubber, made of plastic and, and what happens to an indestructible toy? It gets torn apart inevitably. And then there's the fear of your pup ingesting that material. So I think for us, our greater fear was that we don't want our family, our pet members to end up eating like man-made materials. So that's why we wanted to design and produce an all natural toy for our customers. That makes a lot
0: of sense. And to your point, just because it's indestructible doesn't mean that someone's gonna keep it forever. So when it goes into a landfill, it is there forever because it was designed Mm -hmm. to be that way. That's a good point. That is a good point. Okay, can we go back to the first year? Well, first I've got, okay, I've got a two part question. Part A, how long did it take between the idea when you two got together and you were like, "We should really do this thing"? Thinking of the idea to, I think you launched your e-commerce site first. So that that first launch of the website, how long between idea to launch? And then the second part of it is, what did that first year being in business? What did that look like?
2: I can't least, even. I don't remember. I think we. Well, I, I remember. <laughs> I think we started thinking about it in 2018 because that's when we we established our LLC
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then so that's that means we that we were started. talking about it. Yeah.
1: That's, but that's when we start, but us talking about it, that took a long time. I think that um, we needed to experience a lot of things before um, we felt ready to start this business. Um, and I think that the thinking about it, I think the, the, believing in ourselves and also trying to figure out what this what we want in terms of what the company will look like that took a while um but once we actually registered for the llc that's when like we hit the ground running um i mean we and when we say 2018 we did that in november so it's not in the end of november so it's not like even it it wasn't even like it was 2018 so we had 2019 to actually um lay the groundwork um establish our mission our statement our core values what that looked like in terms of working with our makers and you know working locally as well as like internationally um and then i so in actuality, once we decided to do it, it came together pretty quickly, because that's like a year later mm-hmm. that we decided to launch.
0: Okay. How do you I identify think, the artisan partners that you work with? Or how did you in that first year?
1: So I actually post
2: Peace Corps. So I did work with um, many artisan groups in Morocco, and that was kind of my um, my job, during the mm-hmm. two years I was in Peace Corps, um, and so I learned actually that's when I was introduced to working with um, artisans mm-hmm. at a very grassroots level, um, and so I, I understood the kind of economics, the business development piece. And then after I came back from Peace Corps, I actually started working for a nonprofit that actually that did capacity training for um, female artisans around the world. So I went to all these different places to visit and work with them and design products, We did a lot of capacity training. Um, And that's kind of where I developed my network of artisan groups. Um, And so from there, we were able to kind of pick and choose who we felt would be the right fit for us at the time. And, you know, given that we were so lean at the time, we just Mm -hmm. really started with like two or three groups um, that we wanted to work with um, and started off with a really basic collection, you know. Um, <clears throat> and it was great. You know, these are groups that we were already familiar with. Personally, I've worked with them um, and Santos recently went and visited them last year. So it's it's kind of, a, a it's been a fruitful relationship and continuing to grow.
0: Nice. And what about, I've got, again, all of my questions are like, multi-part. But this next question is that first little chunk that you guys got up and running before COVID, what were some of the biggest challenges or the most memorable challenges? I know when you're starting a business, like every day is a new challenge. Every heartbeat is like a new thing that you didn't think of. But what were some of the big challenges? Again, our audience is, is made up of a lot of small business owners or want to be small business owners and entrepreneurs. So everyone would really benefits from hearing the challenges and hurdles and solutions, creative solutions from other entrepreneurs. So in that first year, pre-COVID, when you were setting up, what were some of those memorable challenges? And then I'll ask you about what those, those
2: COVID months look like. Um, well, we had to write a business plan, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that was trying to gather Santos and my thoughts all together and that turned into kind of a what was a monster document right santos like it was all basically all (laughs) our ideas Mm -hmm. everything that we could possibly do Mm -hmm. we're just pouring our hearts into this business plan Mm -hmm. it was it had like sections and subsections and like (laughs) appendices and it was like well we were doing so much research but it was good for us because we needed that we needed to do the research um and you know there are definitely like narrowing it down was probably definitely difficult for us i think mm-hmm. still today our business plan is like work in progress because mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's constantly changing um but that and so narrowing it down and then also figuring in the finances for it
1: mm-hmm. so
2: that was then- at the time difficult
1: mm-hmm. yeah And then also, um, part of it was also, um, this was, you know, new products that obviously we had to train our makers to make, um, and train ourselves as well, because, you know, um, we, contrary to popular belief, we aren't we didn't start out as pet designers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We, you know, we, we, um, like historically have designed for humans, men and women and children as well. Um, so obviously understanding our customer, um, understanding their needs as well. And, um, and what that includes is like, uh, I mean, the, the if we're talking about being inclusive here, like the shape of a dog, the strength of a dog, um varies widely much more so than humans, I feel like. Yeah, well, is that like designing that
0: because, like... for a typical age group or age range of kids <laughs> who are roughly the same age and shape and size? You're right, dogs are like <laughs> like run the gamut you're right and you're not just designing for the dogs like of course there's the users and then you have the owners yeah this is as I think about it it's right. more and more complex okay
1: mm-hmm. um but luckily like obviously we're 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 dog moms um cat moms you know I once upon a time I was a a rabbit mom so I mean <laughs> I mean, we, we are our customers, so it's a lot easier to design for ourselves uh, than it is for somebody that's abstract.
0: <laughs> sure, that makes sense. Um, and then how did, can you talk us through, because you're, you're based in New York, we know that mm-hmm. COVID hit New York real hard. What mm-hmm. did yeah. that season look like for you too individually and for the business? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that was pretty rough because we launched when we were all still sheltering in place as well mm-hmm. and our makers were also sheltering in place and you know we work with the most vulnerable of populations. Um so um obviously we to a large extent we we had to pivot um during pan- the pandemic and during the lockdown and We, you know, we we had to start looking at our own, um, what our own like production capacity would be in house. Um, And that's where we started growing our own collection, because when our makers are sheltering in place, many of the times they couldn't make our products for us. Um, but we knew we continued to develop with them because we knew we were making great products. Um, but that's that gave us the opportunity to focus on our walk collection and um, work locally. Um, so you know we were able to um, concentrate on our you know our most popular one of our most popular um, programs during that time simply because we were making it in house. There was a lot of uh, nights. Um, <laughs> sitting on the on the carpet on the ground, trying to get the patterning right, trying to get the collars right, trying to get the leashes right um, in our own apartments um during that time. So um, it was, yeah, it was pretty rough when the pandemic ripped the country. Um, But we were able to successfully pivot because we, I feel like, or maybe pivot's the wrong word, but we were able to um, make a go out of it simply because of necessity. We looked at what we had around us and we made something out of it. Yeah. And and that's essentially a good segue into like, just the
2: the fact that we were making products from our apartments Mm -hmm. was, was just like, uh, we we're like hammering and like clipping and riveting and everything in, in our own apartments. And we were like, we can't do this forever. And so that's when we started to think about a retail or a studio space actually was what we were initially looking, um, into, um, but also from, you know, a sales perspective, because we, we did go online and we were basically invisible because that's when everyone went online, right, including right. brick and mortars. Um, we were not able to, you know, besides for the first three months of our friends and family shopping with us, like we weren't actually getting any sales. So that's when we, Saunders and I, you know, put on our masks and we went out And we um, set up a stand at, you know, local farmers markets and artisan markets, and we went to our customers. So, you know, we knew everyone was sheltering in place, but we also knew that our customers needed to walk their dogs, right? And they needed to go get groceries, needed to get whatever they needed for their pets. So we, we went out there and that's how we introduced ourselves to Brooklyn and New York and everywhere that we popped up. So, that was really successful for us because um, mm-hmm. we were able to tell our stories again with the communities and we were able to and introduce our products and um, have customers you know touch and feel and and see everything for themselves instead of you know going online and shopping for a a name under, you know, under a brand that they don't recognize or products they've never seen before. So I
0: would have thought, this is really interesting what you're saying, just in terms of trends, retail trends during the pandemic, I would have thought, oh my gosh, this is like the perfect storm for you, for you ladies in your business. We know mm-hmm. the pandemic, like pet ownership exploded, everything is online. You had the foresight to launch your uh, e-commerce site first, like this must have been amazing, but I didn't, ever until this moment really take into account the just the huge uh, mass migration online and what you said really made me think you got lost in the noise everyone suddenly was online and you were a brand new um brand so actually like strapping on your mask, wading into public spaces and engaging with the community as you said going to where your customers are that is a thing that that really put um, gone to the ducks on a new trajectory, which is like the opposite of what everybody did during the pandemic. Uh, that's super interesting. And that makes me want to ask you about kind of community reception. And at the be at the top of the podcast, Jennifer, I think you mentioned the importance of community. So I wanted to double back on that and just talk about community, where you where you ladies are. Can you tell us where your story is also? It's in Brooklyn, but where exactly? Oh,
1: we are uh, in Park Slope 103, 7th Avenue between President and Union. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, And I think it's it's kind of funny because obviously like new community, our community was going to make or break us. And um, when we looked at the store, even like we envisioned um, it being a community space. And one thing that I really love about our store and, a very, and I'm very proud about it is that to a certain degree, it is very innovative because it's not just like a, a retail experience. It's also a maker experience. Like mm-hmm. you come in and most times out of the week, you will find us making our collection, our rope products in the back. If you walk into the store, you'll see we've we've leveraged every single piece of space. So you'll see the raw materials out there along with our finished product as well. So you you can actually see your product being made. You can see what it's made out of. Um, and if you ask, we are more than happy to tell you where it came from as well. Um, we collaborate with local rock climbing gyms um, to Collect rope that we make out of our rope collection. Um, um, instead of like having the rope go to landfills, we found a, a second life for them with um, our walk um, collection.
2: All right. I think, as Santos is mentioning, we just try to make everything that we do um, as dynamic. Like every move that we make it needs to be dynamic. Um, like for moving into the real retail space, we needed to make sure we actually needed a studio space. Mm-hmm. So we needed to find a space to work and make the products and, but we were also nervous that we weren't going to make rent and, right. you know, as a small business, you're always worried about that. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, well, what, what can we do to, to balance the studio rent retail space? So if we were open every day and we able to make sales every day, even on the slow days then that would help right counter that so the space now is a workshop/office studio and retail space and that that just came you know organically because we just we just weren't we were nervous about everything you know it was the pandemic sure and we just weren't like 100% about anything and you know while people were closing their storefronts we were opening one mm-hmm. during the pandemic so it was it was really scary and risky at that time
0: yeah. Man, what a story. And it's one that you'll never forget. I mean, the world will collectively remember those those days. And this was the beginning mm-hmm. of your your business, which is really cool. So if I can jump into just business, these are a lot of questions that we get from our community, especially when they're seeking out other um, entrepreneurs. We don't talk to a lot of co-founders and, uh, and co-owners. How do you two separate which parts of the business each of you manages?
1: Oh boy That's, that has been that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh lord um well it, like any relationship it can be very messy um and we're trying our best um now that our business is growing to um, to do a better job of, um, determining what it is to share responsibilities and tasks. And also at the same time, what are, you know, we're continually defining what our roles are. Um, and I think that's what it is, um, defining your role. Um, and on top of that, like, um, just having it on, um, metaphorical paper you can use a your laptop if you want about what each person is responsible for and what what work is really too huge for one person and um and who's going to helm what like that's that's really important to do as we have found out um and you know obviously we're we're still a work in progress um with regards to that that's something that we're still um obviously trying to figure out because you know we we it, you know the the beginnings of a, a business is always going to be the hardest mm-hmm. and um and work life balance is a real thing uh and we're still trying to determine that like what that looks like for us um mm-hmm. and um as we grow we have to grow our team as well um in order for this to be successful
0: so this
2: this <laughs> is <I> to... <laughs> yeah go on go on. i was gonna
1: correct i was like we have worksheets
2: that we have like SOPs <laughs> oh, <yeah>. and <laughs> I like how just write it on a piece of paper. I was like, no, we have files about <laughs> our responsibilities and who does what. But I guess I can, I just, just, I think this would be super helpful. Is just like knowing when you start a business um, and you can do this, even if you're a solo, you know, owner, or entrepreneur is to, you know, list all the things that you need to do for the business and know that you can't do all of it. Uh, like to perfection. I think, you know, Santos and I are kind of, I think we started off thinking we can't do everything, but to be honest, when, like, again, there's just, there's two of us too. So like we were thinking, okay, there's two of us, we can do everything, but <laughs> when you're growing and when you're focusing on certain aspects of growing the business, you can't do everything. And so I, I think it would make so much sense to prioritize those things um on the worksheet you know by kind of like your your goals for that quarter or for that year and really focus on those three goals um because if you try to focus on everything it it starts to get very messy and it starts to get very stressful and and then that's like the road to burnout i think
0: so what is right, what so. struck me is listening to you and this i might ask a which is like an interview faux pas, which I might ask you some yes or no questions, but it just really um, made me smile when you were talking about your business plan and how you guys um, did so much for your business plan. And it needed like one of the big challenges was paring down your business plan into something that's that's manageable that you could start with. And then Jennifer and Hans Hunter, this notion of like, yes, we have files and files, about goals and responsibilities and statements of work and who's responsible for this. This is amazing. You hear, well, I hear a lot of entrepreneur stories that are kind of the opposite. Like it seems to be either one extreme or the other, which is one like, I didn't know what I, would do, what I was doing and I just made it up as I was going on. And then there's the, the group of which I certainly fall into the second category, which is, and I prepped everything to a lot like I over prepped and that's how I feel most comfortable, etc. cetera. Um, how would you describe yourselves as a as a entrepreneur team, as a founder team? Is are you guys like over prepping? How do you want to say over? Because there's when you're starting a business to your point, both of your points, there's not like an over prep. It's you're just doing things on the fly. But how would you maybe some adjectives to describe yourselves as a founder team?
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was going to say bootstrap. That was like mm-hmm. the first, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. that was like the first, I mean, we're still like, like for us, I think we're still trying, I think I would say dynamic. Like, I think mm-hmm. we still need to be able to pivot. We still, like when I say focusing on like three primary goals every quarter, like Santos and I will sit down and talk about, okay, what do we need to focus on this entire year? What are the three goals for this quarter? And that changes like it could be the reason why we do it by the quarter is because sometimes we're down on sales. Sometimes something happens and we all of a sudden are low on cash flow, And so we need to sit down and say, Hey, like, what can we do? And it's like literally quarter by quarter, do we run sales? Do we run
1: promos? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so like we have like our greater goals um, in mind, but also at the same time, like we, a lot of times, um, simply because like we we don't we were we're very lean we didn't start out with a lot of money um because our cash flow situation changes like rapidly sometimes it feels um you the thing sometimes the thing that you prepare sometimes the what you prepare to do is not what you're going to do so there is a lot of Crap! but there's also a lot of, okay, there's always going to be fires to be put out. There's always Mm -hmm. going to be um, gears that you have to shift. Um, and like other things that you have to concentrate on that you didn't think that you would have to. Um, so there is a lot of adaptability and flexibility that's needed, um, for I think any business, but also for us as well, or that's what we've had to do anyway. Um,
0: do you have any rituals or even maybe even unconsciously things that you do together to keep yourselves sane?
1: Oh, uh, I'm actually trying huh. to learn how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, that's something that we, I think we, yeah, we're working.
2: I mean, we actually, so we um, one of the things that we do is we reach out for help. We, you know, we, mm. it's not just the two of us. So one of the things that we've learned to do in the past year two is that hiring staff to do so that we don't do everything you know hiring staff to cover us for sales having them help us do events and having them help with social media so that's a part of you know those tasks worksheets is too like how do we Mm -hmm. delegate work to others and not and it's hard because you know it started out with both of us we were we both had control over everything or thought we did and you know it's more so giving up some of that control and making your business more of a community and team effort. And then we have, we also have a business coach that we consult with. We have Ah. friends who consult that we consult with. They're like our pseudo CFO and like um, business colleagues. So we have a lot of help. Like we have a huge network of people that we talk to constantly Um, and so it doesn't feel so, you know, just the two of us. Right. Um, yeah. And yes, yeah, Santos and I speak to a business coach every month. And that's, that's something awesome. that helped us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the past year, it's really made a huge difference just to have us like a third person kind of see everything from our perspective, real, and just kind of point out like, Hey, like what we can't see mm-hmm. since we're so knee deep in our,
1: mm-hmm. you know, day to day. Yeah. Mm-hmm obviously we don't like when you say rituals (laughs) like waking up in the morning that's the ritual (laughs) Um, we're trying to be better at
2: it this year (laughs) like this year we're like it's it's, you know self-care year like we're trying to be more aware of you know our bodies and our health and mental
1: health and everything it's Um, tough because it is important that is the focus um but I think that um it's so funny because, like, in terms of like being flexible and adaptable, I envisioned when we first started this company that Jen and I would see each other every day and we talk every day and we mm-hmm. like our desks would be close to each other every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> we're lucky if we see each other once a week, um, oh, wow. because because of the needs of the of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have made it a point to come together at you know at least once a week. Um, if there is a ritual, it's that um Mm -hmm. come and so I mean like um to your question um I think uh, it it isn't so much like um waking up and meditating and drinking a cup of tea or maybe that is for Jen I don't know (laughs) but (laughs) but for myself it's um just knowing this is what's going to happen and this one thing is going to happen every week (laughs) right
0: That you guys get to you ladies get to actually see each other which does make a difference doesn't it
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a Jen and Santos day. We spend the entire day oh. talking about everything, basically, and just kind oh. of um, yeah. I love
0: that. That's lovely. <laughs> and yeah. One good. more question about you. meant I think Santos. You mentioned when you're. I, I okay. So my question is about the idiosyncrasies of the pet industry that maybe mm-hmm. you don't think about unless you're in it. You get knee deep in the pet industry. So I think Santos. You mentioned designing. Uh, anything a product for dogs but dogs mm-hmm. look like anything and everything and their mm-hmm. strength and what they need the requirements it's like they're hugely diverse what are some other idiosyncrasies about the pet industry that you know the average person wouldn't necessarily consider or know about
1: well i guess hmm, that's a good question um like obviously the breed um which lends to the shape and the strength of your dog and it's you know it and their and their personalities and their character traits um passed down by breeding is always going to um be something that you know we have to think about mm-hmm. um and also their temperament as well you know that during the pandemic a lot of people re- um rescued pets which is great mm. um a lot of dogs temperaments are very different because we don't know where they came from. So, you know, there is, um, trauma as well with dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, in our space, we try try to provide as much of a loving environment as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, and that's great because nothing makes your day like seeing your, like the one of the neighborhood dogs come through and make their daily walk, or sometimes mm. their um, twice daily walk, and come mm. through the store. And I think like that that's where we also get our market research from. Um, that that's like our relationship with the pet community. They're very vocal. They're just like the parent yes, community. They, they are, are very, very vocal. <laughs> but it's great. Yeah. The like diet. as Santos yeah. is
2: mentioning, we there's just so much like out. Like people come in asking for the mm, most bizarre things. <laughs> yeah. So like we, it's just just to, just that in its own. We just know how expansive the the pet market will be right and it's going to continue to be so um and it's so a also, lot of room for growth come in. exactly yeah um
0: nice and creativity yeah. and expansion mm-hmm. that's good um okay so we've reached the kind of rapid fire portion we ask everybody the same things um about six six questions six seven as you know by now, my questions tend to have multi-parts, so lots of questions. But anyway, this is the rapid-fire portion that we ask everybody. And I'll start with, what do your plans look like for 2023? We're now in the back half of the year, which came in like the blink of an eye. It was just Christmas a second ago. It feels like, what are your plans <laughs> for the rest of the year?
2: Um, I know. we're So we are prepping for a holiday um, at the moment. We're putting in all of our orders we are expecting a a pretty big holiday season we're actually doing the two two of the big holiday markets in new york okay um so union square market um, and manhattan as well as bryant park manhattan and manhattan um so basically that's a like a several weeks during the holidays bryant park starts a little earlier in october end of october and it kind of runs through christmas and uh no it's a great it's a great um little market a lot of people come out for it you know tourists locals um last year we were at union square it was super festive you know i think it was the first year that everyone was kind of back out shopping in person Mm -hmm. for the holidays so Mm -hmm. that was really great for us and again um our products were super receptive and so we're anticipating that to happen again this year
1: nice and And we're also we're also focusing on well we plan on debuting or expanding our 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 apparel line this year as well to include um sustainably ethically made um outerwear for our pets as well so that's one thing that we're doing and um it's we're very proud of the product um and then also we're we're well I don't know if it's going to happen this year but we are focusing on um, a subscription program beyond the customer yeah yeah beyond the customers that we see in every you know in real life um we'd love to be able to um provide access to customers that want to experience our brand that aren't local so, you know, that's something that we're working on as well. Hopefully, you know, it will be 2023, but definitely there are going to be new products that are coming out from our um, company and um, we hope everybody uh, is just as happy and receptive as we are and is just as excited when um, they come out because they look great.
0: Nice. Product expansion is always super exciting. We'll be sure to plug those on B1 as well. So, okay, answer me these three questions. What do you two, might be separate answers or the same answers, what do
2: you feel like has been your
0: biggest success to date?
2: I think securing enough capital to make it this far. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been extremely lucky um, in the support of our network um, has, in terms of financially to get us to this place where we are um, I think that was in the beginning we were like wh- how do we even get this money like that was one of the questions <laughs> Where we on our business plan we we're like that's a lot of, that's a lot of capital like that's a lot of money like that's more money than i could ever like imagine us raising so um i think that was really big when we we were able to get even close to that um yeah that's a big one i think landing acceptance into these markets are huge they're quite the holiday markets are quite uh competitive okay I guess you say so we last year when we applied we we were quite surprised that we got it and this year we were quite surprised that they accepted us into two markets so just being ha- having access to that, those opportunities um is being around the shopping crowds in New York it's gonna it's it's going to make a huge difference for us this year um, nice so we're looking to for that mm-hmm.
0: good okay let's go to the flip side of that then. What do you
1: feel like has been your biggest failure to date? So I think there are more like learning, like lessons that we've had to learn through firsthand uh-huh. experience.
2: experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, because if it was a failure, we wouldn't be here. Our company wouldn't exist. Um, and I think that, well, <laughs> I think um, one of the failures would be, it goes back to what Jen said, which is basically not, securing enough capital in the very beginning not realizing not realizing how much capital we would need Mm -hmm. to actually realize our vision of what our company um is and could be Mm -hmm. so um I think and that's I think that's one thing that like um we've had to learn um firsthand I mean and obviously we you know everybody knows like how much it really takes to start a business or maybe everybody doesn't know, but like, there is a number that like, okay, most startups like need this. Um, um And we didn't have access to that amount in the beginning. So we had to, we had to bootstrap it. We had to, you know, put in our own savings, um like get our family involved. um But like that, so I don't think of that as a failure. I think of it more so as something that we just have to go through and learn from and figure out how to, um, how to how to get access? You know, um, through grant applications, um, through rejected loan applications, many rejected grant applications. Um, um, but you know, finally, it didn't stop us. Um, you know, finally, somebody said yes. Somebody believed in us. Somebody's, you know, a community believes in us, and um, I think that's how we continue to grow. We 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 took them as lessons, as opposed to oh, you know, time to quit, you know. Hmm.
0: Yep. And you're right. A lot of this is so we've hosted uh, quite a few people by now on the podcast. And there is definitely a trend. You're right. Entrepreneurs do not like to use the word failure and especially North American based um, entrepreneurs. I don't know if it's cultural, but yes, mm-hmm. that's that is a this is a very salient point. And And th- then our third question in this series is, what do you think is the most important lesson? That you've learned today. Is it that you will need more capital than you ever think that you will need at the beginning?
2: Well, that's one of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we definitely budgeted for a certain amount, and we definitely needed more. And it, mm-hmm. I, it, it, it primarily is because we didn't get the full amount in the beginning. Right. So okay. I think if we did get the full amount, or maybe even some more than some more than what we had budgeted, we wouldn't run into, uh, like, cash flow issues um, in the earlier stages. But, you know, like, the thing is not, of course, not everyone can get that money. And and this kind of goes to show that even if we weren't able to get the full amount, and we were able to bootstrap and hustle our way through it. So, and we're still hustling because, you know, we're still committing to these huge markets which you know require a lot of investment and time and you know we're building out booths and it's a lot of new things that we're trying out so anytime we do anything new and that costs you know time and investment again it's like another decision that we need to make in terms of um, growing the business we've learned a lot of lessons (laughs) (laughs) along the way Um, I think also, in terms of, like, as a partnership, being able to work towards um, a fruitful partnership, always constantly trying to better communication um, and also not burning out. Like, right. I think key is to not burn out. <laughs> because once you burn out, that's, that's when it's, you know, that's when the question is, can we actually run this business? Can we, like, exist? Can Gone to the Dogs exist? Right. So, mm-hmm. and we know so many businesses that have burned out because they started during the pandemic and they worked so hard and, you know, like all of us do and they've, you know, they pivoted their business and at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's like, they basically, the business is successful, but they're just done.
1: Right. Cause they, yeah.
2: they yeah. just burnt out. So I think yeah. for so, us, we're just very self-aware of that um, and just making sure we get all the help that we can um, to avoid burnout.
0: And that's not something that I hear with every entrepreneur and certainly not with every entrepreneur team is just the self-aware. I mean, you hear things like this is a marathon and not a sprint. But the truth is, at the beginning, it is like a marathon sprint. It's ridiculous. And so you can easily lose yourself. And when I say lose yourself, I mean, just neglect your own like levels of exhaustion or just focus or uh, necessity uh, to recharge yourself or just, you know, whatever it is for the sake of, you know, like, okay, we're making it another month. Okay. We've got, we've got another month, or even if it's week by week, whatever it is. So that can really, really quickly be lost. So yeah, that's, it's not a, it's not a given that every entrepreneur, every entrepreneur team um, has a self-awareness to say, okay, no, this actually needs to be a focus. We need to make it so the long haul. So how do we set ourselves up for success? And what does that need to look like?
2: Right. That's exactly correct. So. um Yeah. We want to be around for a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. You want to be
0: around for a while. If you ladies could get 85% of the world to adopt a single behavior, what would that be?
2: I would say if if customers and shoppers can be just mindful, more mindful about
1: what they purchase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's exactly what I thought too. Yeah. If they can just be a little bit
2: more thoughtful, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
2: to stop and think about, like if they pick up a bottle of shampoo or something, where that comes mm-hmm. from, or mm-hmm. a package of pet food, where that comes from. Um, I think that will at least start to change shoppers' behaviors and how yeah. we can move towards a more sustainable and you know sustainable economy.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And then, can I ask you to? plug one more time where we can find you in real life on the internet on social media please plug where we can find you
1: our shop we- is located in parkslip brooklyn um 103 7th avenue between union and president in brooklyn um, you can also find us online um I was about to say www, but I don't know if people still say that Um, (laughs) gone to the dogs.co. And you can easily find us on Instagram with the same handle gone to the dogs.co and Facebook. It's gone to the dogs.co.
0: Awesome. All right. Uh, Santos and Jennifer, thank you so much for stopping by this has been a fantastic conversation. I've learned a lot, not just about the pet industry, which I didn't give a whole lot of thought to before, and now I'm probably going to go into my own rabbit hole, looking at content on on your uh, social media and your website, but also just doing a little bit of research myself. So thank you so much. It's been a fantastic conversation.
2: Thanks for having us. It's been great. Fun chatting with you.
0: And thank you, everyone <laughs> thank in the you. audience. We'll see you on B1.